There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Oh, good morning, my friends. Excuse me. Good evening, my friends. Indeed. I will have to, I confess, we're recording the show on Thursday morning. But uh, to you, to us right here, right now, it is Saturday night. Uh, and I hope it's a good one for you. Uh, indeed, the month of March is uh, unrolling and optimism uh, is in the air. Uh, patience is in order. We're going to get there. You know where we want to get to. We're going to get there collectively. Uh, I'm delighted to uh, have Joseph Affey on the uh, line with us. Uh, he's in California right now. Uh, Joseph covers uh, fintech stocks, financial technology. He is a managing director at Canaccord uh, Equity Research, covers fintech and IT services. Uh, names like Square, uh, Copa Software. Uh, interesting, uh, interesting coverage universe that Joe, uh, I'll open with, uh, has been dramatically affected by the rise in the 10-year treasury yield. And ladies and gentlemen at home, what I'm referring to is government bonds. Uh, the 10-year government bond in the last few weeks, few months, has moved from a half a percent to one and a half percent. Still negative in parts of Europe, but nonetheless, the movement in the bond market has been the reason for the crushing of many of those darling Highly valued, very expensive tech stocks. Uh, I love financial technology. Uh, it is the way of the future, and it's a delight to uh, be able to get some insight into that with you, Joe. Thank you very, very kindly for joining us. Sure, well. Uh, yes, indeed. Well, it is uh, 8 a.m. to our friend Joe, and uh, I can just hear it in your voice. You just, you know, you got that California vibe yet. So, <laughs> I love it. Um, <laughs> indeed. And, you know, it's amazing. All of these uh, delightful, uh, exciting, um, uh, futuristic stocks. Uh, when, when I when I do my research on them, they, they they're always uh, headquartered in California. Uh, why is that? Well, you know, it's an interesting question. You know, especially software and um, you know, software, especially for big companies, kind of has a lot of DNA in California, going like all the way back to you know, like to, you know, the early days of Oracle and and you know a lot of other. Uh, 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 ERP companies that have kind of been acquired over time. So, you know, software for business kind of has, you know, just a lot of knowledge in terms of people and, and how, you know, how computing environments work um, in California, you know, other areas like payments, um, you know, I'd say, you know, s some of the stuff, if you look at like a square or a PayPal, they kind of got, they got kind of born from the internet and, you know, obviously a lot of also, you know, internet innovation in California. That said, you know, you know, we we see a lot of innovation everywhere, and you know, I, I wouldn't say there's really any difference in 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 um, you know where companies are geographically located. Well, there shouldn't be in this day and age. And again, with uh, you know uh, software allowing programmers, uh, I'm speaking now a company called Team, a collaborative software company, allows programmers internationally to uh, uh, work on behalf. But uh, you know, if you're going to San Francisco, you make sure you wear flowers in your hair. Uh, I think there's some merit to that. People still want to hang with like-minded people. And, uh, you know, believe it or not, I, I, I think there's a lot of merit to it. Here in Canada, you see a few 
IT hubs. Uh, and when, when a hub is created, then universities are, are built nearby and ecosystems uh, emerge and the network effect kicks in. But you're in a very exciting space. And again, the way Jack and I have portfolios positioned right now, Joe's, is we have some IT names. Uh, like Copa Software, and we have some good old boring banks like J.P. Morgan uh, and some John Deere uh, and the like. So it's a barbell approach, and we did tone down our uh, uh, our, our technology exposure somewhat. But I, I honestly, Joe, I'm going to confess uh, to you and to the audience, I was blindsided by the movement in uh, the tenure affecting the uh, long duration, which I learned, the long duration tech stocks, uh, those who have their... Uh, uh, sunny days in front of them. But again, I want to rewind now, Joe, and help us out here. Uh, take us back to 1999, 98, uh, right into 2000. Little company named Amazon uh, was not making any money, uh, was selling everything at cost, and was beyond a high multiple stock as it had no earnings. Uh, I don't know what the multiple to revenue was at the time. Um, and fast forward 20 years, and we all know this, the, how that all played out. Winner take all environment. Uh, do you see that it is a similar situation in fintech? And how, what kind of parallels can you share to the audience between your sector today and your sector, what it would have looked like in 98 and 2000 in terms of valuations? Yeah, yeah, it's a pretty crazy question. Um, you know, in a previous life, I'll just digress for a second. And, you know, I remember in a previous life, I worked for a, a different firm. Um, and we took Amazon public back in the day. And I remember hearing, you know, the analysts talk about it and trying to set up investor meetings for Jeff Bezos. And nobody wanted to take a meeting with them because no one believed in the story. Can you believe that? Uh, yep. Like a six dollar, six dollar right. stock. No one wanted to talk to Jeff Bezos. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I believe you. And, and, and Netflix approached Blockbuster, and Blockbuster said, "Get out of here. We're not interested in working with Netflix. Who are you?" Yeah, that's right. So you yeah. know, if you look at fintech, you know. FinTech is kind of the new name for what we would in the old days would call transaction processing, right? Processing trend, you know, financial transactions. And, you know, today I think, you know, things have evolved to the point where sometimes you don't know if it's a financial services company or a technology company, right? So yep. hence the name FinTech today. And, yep. you know, kind of against that backdrop, you know, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the environment's night and day different, right? You know, you have mobility, you have phones, you have the ability to transact anywhere. You got the ability to get paid instantly. You know, none of that existed in the days, you know, even the early days of the internet, you know, you know, early web browsers weren't secure enough. There wasn't really, uh, you know, people were, you know, leading edge uh, mobile devices was a Blackberry with the old, uh, uh, LED screen on LCD screen on it and, <laughs> and like, so, you know, you just really couldn't do that much. Right. But, you know, today payments are everywhere. Um, you know, I, I'd kind of, I bucketed into two areas. I'd say uh -huh. consumer payments and then you have business to business payments and they're kind of very distinct and, you know, they each have their, you know, own dynamics, you know, to a certain degree, consumer payments, you know, if you look at, you know, the likes of, of PayPal and, and other payment platforms, consumer payments is kind of, you know, 
you know, the, the green field's kind of gone in terms of, you know, who's kind of divvying up the market. You know, th- those big players are there. They're going to continue to get share. If you go to B2B, it's a little different. You know, it's still very, very fragmented. I think, you know, we see kind of more action in B2B in terms of more mid-sized companies um, exploiting the fact that most of business uh, is still done in paper checks um, and that there's a big opportunity to move more of that electronically. You see a lot of different companies, both big and small, honestly, more on the smaller side, focused on, on B2B payments. So we like B2B payments. Uh, for smaller players that can still grab market share. And we kind of like consumer for the secular tailwinds and the big guys that kind of have, um, you know, kind of have, you know, have their market share and will continue to grow with the secular tailwinds. Uh, Give us your best idea then in a consumer uh, payment uh, environment and a business to business payment environment. Yeah, it's um, you know, that's it's an interesting it's an interesting question. Um, you know, consumer payment stocks are they've done really well and and I know you you know you were mentioning the Fed and the macro. You know, if I looked you know, if I looked at um at just the businesses and how they're doing today on consumer, you know, probably PayPal has a, a little bit more that, you know, relative to valuation as well, just a little more gas in the tank moving forward. They're just starting to roll out crypto and they're just um, starting to roll out buy now, pay later, which are both really big potential categories for them where, you know, those are just emerging opportunities in consumer right now. Stop right there. I'm sorry, Joseph. Again, we're not in studio. I can't cue you as much, but buy now, pay later on PayPal. That sounds like yeah. there's an intermediary in there called a bank of some sort lending money, correct? Well, they are the ones that they're yeah, there's it's a lending it's a lending business model for sure. But it's PayPal using their own balance sheet and their own evaluation of credit to uh, issue those loans to consumers. That's quite fascinating. So That's quite yeah, and I was so saying, Joe, it sounds like they're getting into the uh, the space of Visa and MasterCard, and once you get to to that realm, yeah. well, you know, to a certain degree, but you know, there's another category of just pure plays in buy now, pay later that have um, emerged. There's a company called Affirm, you know, and they're just doing buy now, pay later with you know, I believe something like a ten billion dollar market cap, or it was, and uh, you know, if you think about it, PayPal already has the merchants. They already have the customers. They kind of have the hard work done in having everybody on their platform. And they have a tremendous amount of expertise and data on the consumers. And so they're in a great position to be a leader in this category where you've got pure plays and buy now, pay later that are, you know, trading in the true stratosphere. So um, we like that. Uh, we also like the fact that they're starting to uh, roll out um, the ability to buy and sell Bitcoin uh, through PayPal. And sometime this year, you will be able to use Bitcoin if you have some Bitcoin in your PayPal account to uh, to buy goods and services as well. So you're listening to high. So, so, sorry, Joe. I, I, yeah. 
I'm being instructed by my producer to have to get to a break here. It is Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio 640 in Toronto. Good evening, my friends. Uh, it is a delight to have Joseph Vaffy join us. He's an uh, analyst uh, at Canic Originality. He covers financial technology. Uh, it is the way of the future. Financial transactions continue to unfold. Uh, it dovetails into cryptocurrency. We're going to touch a little bit on Ethereum and uh, Bitcoin and dig deeper into some of his other uh, top picks when it comes to financial technology. Stay tuned. It's Hi-Fi Radio. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. All right, my good friends, you're going nowhere. Stay put. It's Hi-Fi Radio. It's Saturday night. And again, uh, COVID remains. Uh, we're being vaccinated. Not at our pace they would like, but it's happening. So just stay put for a little while longer. And then we can go to San Francisco and put flowers in our hair. Uh, but between now and then, it's a delight to be speaking with Joseph Vaffy. He is an analyst at Canaccord. Uh, he covers fintech and IT services, uh, futuristic stuff um, that is happening right before our eyes. It's incredible. This stuff is new, but the story has taken you know years to create and develop. And uh, uh, according to the market, it's not new. Many of these names have had huge moves. Um, I remember I was up in Halliburton picking up a sculpture, a chainsaw piece of cedar that was made into a wizard uh, at a Home Depot parking lot. And a little tent set up, and the guy with the chainsaw making these beautiful sculptures. So I said, I'll take one of those. Uh, he said, How do I pay? I don't got you know several hundred bucks. He goes, No problem. I'll just tap your credit card with my phone. And I said, How do you think I got square? So, wow. Went and bought the stock at around 70 bucks, and well, sold it recently at around 220, only to watch it go to 280. Uh, boy, these things move, but they also correct as well. Um, Richard, uh, excuse me, Joseph, I want to ask you about a, a name that we currently own. Help us out a little bit here. Part of us doing this radio show is we get to do our behind the scenes work live on radio, it's a lot of fun. Uh, Copa Software, um, expense yeah. management software, uh, it seems to have a lot of good traction. Uh, of course, uh, when I show up to the party, it usually ends. <laughs> Not always, but sometimes I'm capable of that move, being a contrarian mover. Uh, uh, but we got a small position in Copa. Uh, you know, in this environment, uh, how's it going to fare? And uh, what are the prospects, do you think, for the next, say, three to five years? Ooh, long-term investing. Why not? It'll come by. Sure, sure. Yeah, so... Coupa is a great name. I think, you know, when you look at Coupa today in, in the environment that we're in, and I know, uh, Wolfgang, you were kind of mentioning interest rates and, and the like, you got to, you know, I think you got to, you got to make two calls. You know, Coupa is probably one of the most highly valued stocks in the market, you know, along with some other SaaS software names. And uh, so you have to make the decision, first of all, is, you know, am I okay investing in these kinds of names in this environment where there's potential, you know, some volatility to interest rates, volatility in terms of, you know, U.S. Um, Federal Reserve policy and how that could move things around. So if you, that's one, that's, you know, that's one bucket of decisions. If you move on to the fundamentals of the company and what they do, you know, they're really still attractive. They just uh, reported their fiscal Q4 numbers just the other day. And so this company does procurement and payments for big companies. It helps them buy their stuff easier and pay their for their stuff easier. And 
these guys just won BMW away from SAP. Okay. And SAP is like the biggest and most, uh, you know, coolest German software company in existence. And you could probably say the same thing about BMW and automobiles. And guess who just won BMW? Coupa. Okay. So that's telling you something about what they have and where they're, where they are competitively, you know, in the market, even against the biggest, you know, and, you know, the biggest and broadest software platforms in the world like SAP. What makes Coupa pretty interesting is, is that BMW can use their software and a small and medium business can use their software as well. So you've got a really large addressable market across big companies and small companies. Um, right now, the, um, there, you know, there are also uh, more and more people, they originally signed up to use this product to buy things, and now more and more of them are using it to pay for things. So there's a difference between ordering it and getting an invoice and then paying for it later in, in B2B. This is B2B software. So, um, you know, we see just, you know, a, an, an ability for them to continue to kind of be the leader in this big category called procurement management. Um, if they're beating SAP, they're beating everybody else. And the product set's expanding as well to provide more and more capabilities. So, um, every year people are buying more of it, even if they already have it in, in their, in their, in their enterprise. So it does, uh, um, it's got a good growth trajectory. Joe, help me out here in terms of interest rates. Um, if the 10 year yield, uh, is now 1.6%. So government of bond from the United States of America for 10 years pays you 1.6 interest for all intents and purposes. If interest rates on the long end go to 3%, how would this affect Coupa? You know, I, I, it probably wouldn't be good, Wolfgang. I'm, I'm not really a market analyst. I'm a fundamental sector analyst. So I'm going to leave that question to the market analysts. No, nope, fair enough. Fair enough. But again, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rewind back to you. Know, we have Sandy McIntyre. He's a, a, a veteran of Bain Wall Street joining us. And uh, he loves the history. And he, and he can recite it very, very well. Um, but if, I, if we rewind back into 2000, uh, interest rates were considerably higher than they are now. And tech valuation on an earnings basis was, well, you can't divide into zero. So we, we, we know that math didn't work. Uh, but on, on a multiple to revenue back in 98 and 2000, how stretched were software stocks then in a higher interest rate environment? They were... They were stretched. I think, you know, if you look at, you know, some of the leading software players like Coupa, um, they're more stretched now than they were then. The, the, the likes of AOL and uh, Nortel and yeah. JDS. Uh, yeah, you, you, tell, you, you think valuations higher, are higher than they were then? I believe so, yeah. Well, that's, that, that's helpful, Joe. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, I would add Jack, there, you add, I think. Yeah, no, I, you know, I would jump in and add that. Models, yeah. Go ahead, Jack. Sorry. No, I would just jump in and add that a lot of those 2000 stocks in the dot-com era, they didn't have any revenue, Wolf. They were just a story, right? Coupa is a real business with a real business model taking uh, market share away from a company like SAP. Um, so I think that's well, no, 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 Jack, no, no, I, I, I'm not going to let you off so easy here on that one, Jack. Well, I mean, let me finish. AO, no, I mentioned, I mentioned AOL. I mentioned JDS Uniphase. I mentioned Amazon. Amazon had revenue back then. They had no earnings back then. Right. 
the point that I would make to you, Wolf, and I think it's, it's very relevant and valid, is if you get up to a three percent interest rate, and I don't what I don't know where the pinch point is in terms of shutting down the economy. But what will happen, and we've seen it before, is these economically sensitive names that are performing exceptionally well right now, whether it's banks, industrials, the, the traditional you know Dow type of companies, um, those companies, because of higher interest rates, will start to um, contract because you won't see the growth in them anymore because the economy will be slowing down and you will actually pivot back towards some of these secular growth themes, the FANG stocks, Coopas. Um, we'll see where the valuation's at, but I think that uh, when you can grow in a no growth environment, that's where uh, companies like Coopa really shine as well. Well, that's just it. Uh, Jack, do you want to pivot over into um, cryptocurrency and how that ties in into Joe's sector? Sure. Yeah, we've talked about uh, PayPal and Square, obviously, and I think that's been a big catalyst for uh, those companies being able to uh, get on the blockchain and also be able to, um, you know, uh, provide Bitcoin uh, transactions for their clients. So in terms of coverage universe, Joe, what do, what do you see there? And I know you've mentioned uh, Silvergate in the past. Um, what are your thoughts on that company? Yeah, so Silvergate is a really interesting name uh, because it's really just a commercial bank. You know, this is a bank with deposits and they make, you know, they, they take in deposits and then they uh, lend those deposits out and make an interest margin spread. So it's a regular bank. But what they did a few years ago is they figured out how to create a, a network that institutional traders and the big exchanges that are trading Bitcoin, uh, they, they created a network so that these traders could trade even faster uh, and remove what's called counterparty risk on the trades. And all they had to do was put deposits with Silvergate. So Silvergate is a regular bank. They don't own any crypto. Um, they don't. They don't even transact in crypto for their clients. All they do is uh, people that want to trade put some deposits there, and then they can trade better. Um, the stocks really reacted uh, a lot to the move up in Bitcoin here over the last few months, and I'd say probably you know at this point, you know if you look at at the move in the stock, I think what that really reflects is a lack of ways for traditional investors to invest in cryptocurrency today. You know, you can't buy an ETF or uh, Bitcoin. You can't really buy it through your Canaccord account or your Fidelity account or whatever broker you use. You have to kind of find a derivative play like Silvergate that um, is benefiting from the environment, or you've got to go and you've got to tr figure out how to open up, up an account at a crypto brokerage directly. And so there's some friction there and um, it's really benefited Silvergate. We're speaking with Joseph Vaffey, uh, got about a minute left with him. He's a key analyst of ours at Canaccord. Uh, he is in California, uh, the leading edge of technology, but Canada has a small feather in its cap. Um, Joe, you can now buy crypto via an ETF in Canada. Uh, Purpose Investments, the first to launch a pure play, virtually no drag uh, crypto ETF um, that reflects the price of crypto. And I understand that the New York Stock Exchange is soon to approve a few as well. So hopefully a bit of that American capital comes up across the border if you want to trade crypto south of the border uh, through an ETF. You can and up here in Canada, of course, now you can buy some crypto. Uh, Joe, give us 30 seconds, your last uh, best idea. Again, think three to five years out and take it all into context. The interest rate environment, uh, the risk environment, the economics and all. Give, give us your best idea three to five years out. 
Yeah, you know, over on the other side of my coverage, maybe we'll just, if it's my best idea, but we'll talk about one that's got a little more reasonable valuation to it is uh, T-Tech, T-T-E-C. They're in customer care. So it's, um, it's not a fintech. It's um, more of a business and IT services name. You know, they help big companies with their customer, customer care. Um, you know, customer experience today is so important, especially as more and more things are going virtual. They need to have, you know, really good um, customer experience. And, you know, with the pandemic, you know, a lot of customer care, a lot of big enterprises that were doing this themselves, they couldn't really pivot that to work from home very well. T-Tech, on the other hand, kind of is a, is that's what their business is, is, is helping their customers provide customer care. They were really able to pivot really fast to work from home. They're also benefiting because a lot of their employees are in places like the Philippines. And now they're able to get even, you know, um, more employees more easily because those employees in the Philippines are working from home. Um, so you've got a, a lot of really positive dynamics going on where big enterprises really are realizing they can't do this very well. And the pandemic's really making that clear. And yeah, when I'm when I'm speaking to a customer care office and I think we all do this now. First question, where are you working? Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's true because it can be very frustrating when you get out of the pond into places where the wages are cheaper. Uh, you do often well, get what you pay for, but the world has gone flat. Joseph Baffett, I don't mean to cut you off. It's Saturday night. We got yeah. another show coming up after our show. Uh, you're a rock star, my good friends. I can't wait to get to San Francisco and uh, bring some flowers and put in my hair. Not that I have much, but we can we can figure it out. Uh, you're a great guy. Hi-Fi Radio, Global News, 640 Toronto. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. It is Saturday night, my friends, in the city, shall say, and we're talking about money. It's Hi-Fi Radio. I am Wolfgang Klein, Jack Hartle, my partner. Pleasure to uh, bring you Mr. Sandy McIntyre. He's a retired strategist. Um, he spends a lot of his time now uh, helping others. He spends a lot of time on boards and charitable giving. Uh, Lock Tay Foundation. Um, well, what is Lock Tay Foundation, uh, Sandy? It's a it's a remembrance of all of us being refugees at some point in time. Um, in the 1850s, the Marquis of Bredalban refused to renew the leases for the crofters on the south shore of Loch Tay, and we were essentially forced to emigrate. As the family left the lands, the uh, Marquis's minions ripped the roof off the croft so that they couldn't return. Well, that's quite the story. Thank you for that. Um, uh, let's uh, pivot over. The, the plus hey. is, the plus is, as soon as the McIntyres arrived up in uh, near uh, on the banks of the Saugeen River in uh, Bruce County, uh, they formed a school, educated the youth, and the next generation went to university. The following generation was my grandfather, who was. Um, a high-profile surgeon in Toronto. And if you follow the McCrure side, they left um, uh, Dune, where they were stonemasons. And uh, a number of generations later, um, my grandfather was Chief Justice of Ontario. And it, we were immigrants, yes. 
we were refugees, yes. But this was a huge land of opportunity, which is actually one of the reasons why I give money to an organization called Aura, which is Anglican Church in support of the refugee efforts. God bless you for that, Sandy. That's a beautiful thing. It really, really is. Um, you have heart and you have a big mind. Um, and it, it's, it's, it's really kind of you to take some time out of your retired date uh, to talk about something that I think really excites you. Um, and so uh, to the markets, it's, it's just, it's, it's, they're exciting. They really, really are. Um, for when you're a market practitioner, from an investor, you really don't want exciting. It's not what it's just supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be investing and, and working and, and, and letting your kids excite you and your own personal interests excite you uh, as opposed to the market. And, you know, again, Sandy, you just fast forward to today from where you, your career began and uh, the use of technology, apps and the likes to get started in investing. It, it actually sounds really good in practice, but I just think it sets the, 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 the trap open for so many potential mistakes, perhaps uh, allowing one to learn from such mistakes. But uh, I, I don't know a sense a full sense of security. Um, you know, these algorithms are sending emojis back to people, news on their stocks that say your stock's up a, a tenth of a cent. You may want to add more to it. They, they get people hyper excited. And I think it's all noise. Jack said to me, he said, Wolf, well, uh, present to saying the noise versus signal uh, as, a, as a leapfrog to uh, discussion. So, so let's do just that, Sandy. There is so much noise out there. And often the media is the culprit of the noise. And it is not what the market's about. The market's about a bigger entity than noise. Um, signals matter. Uh, and I think we have received some signals recently from the bond market. Um, invest accordingly. Yields have risen. So noise signals and the bond market, Sandy. And again, it's Saturday night. We don't want to get too sophisticated because uh, I want our friends to understand what we're talking about. But uh, let, let's let's dive in right here. Okay. Um, one of the themes that I see running through these days is what's called the gamification of investing. Um, fundamentals don't matter. You pile on to an idea, whether it's GameStop or um, – Norwegian cruise lines or whatever, and uh, you don't worry about whether it has positive cash flow or negative cash flow. Um, I think back, and I've been involved in this industry since 1975, and the last time when fundamentals didn't matter was 70, sorry, 99 into early 2000. And the outcome from that wasn't very positive. It was a few years in the wilderness for people who were playing in the uh, uh, speculative end of the market. The tech market, um, yeah. But there's actually a better analog. And it goes back to 1927-28 when the stock market was gamified. Um, you would have... Huh people sitting in wire offices betting using options and derivatives on stale quotes that come down the wires from New York. Um, now, who's benefiting from this? Well, it's the guys in New York who are, who are fleecing the rubes. Um, if, if then this, is, this, is, this is actually a really accessible book. It's called Confessions of a Stock Operator, 
Reminiscences uh, of a stock operator, correct? Right. Reminiscence of, of a stock my operator. You, you, you're painting mental images in my brain of Jesse Livermore as you spoke. I was getting goosebumps, Sandy, as you spoke. My favorite book is that, Reminiscences of a Stock Operator. I've read it about eight times. My, my 17-year-old son, as a matter of fact, is reading that book right now. I'm, I'm impressed by him. But yes, uh, they would hang out in these little rooms. They were playing ex on excessive amounts of margin. Uh, and I think that's what was always wiping them out. People were putting down, I believe, only 10%. Uh, and they were being lent the other 90. Correct me if I'm wrong on that, Sandy. Um, that, that's correct. And they were also using levered structured products. Um, this was back in a day when the market was purely retail, didn't understand leverage. And um, they use something called a closed-end fund, which could go out and borrow and um, invest um, generally for income. Because um, that, that's, that's why a lot of people invested in the stock market was for the dividend streams. And um, 29 was an unwinding of a highly margined market. And... That is what these waterfall declines are. That's margin call after margin call. That's what happened in 2008. It happened, uh, in my view, um, back in March. Uh, the unwinding in high yield was margin calls that spilled over into the stock market. When they raid the house of ill repute, even the piano player and the bartender get arrested. Uh, we speak with Sandy McIntyre. It is such a privilege. Uh, he's a historian. He is a veteran. Uh, he's passionate about the market. He's retired, uh, spending much of his time on giving back and philanthropy, although he gave back as he helped many Canadians, thousands and probably millions of Canadians, build wealth for those who paid attention and listened to what he said. Uh, it's a delight to be spending time with him this evening. We're going to have another chat, fireside as it may be, Hi-Fi Radio with Sandy McIntyre and uh, Jack Hartle, of course, uh, right after this wonderful commercial break. Listen, we're going to take a break, but when we come back, money. more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You should hear the warning If you read the signs Play with your own life But don't play with mine There was Moses and me There you go, my friends. Sci-Fi Radio. We're digging deep into the vinyl cut there to help Sandy McIntyre out. I'd like to see my guests up, and uh, uh, he just gave us the history of how his family was a refugee uh, and an immigrant to Canada. Uh, coming from Scotland, so I asked our producer, Devon, to find us something Scottish. And that's what we came up with, and it's actually very, very appropriate. Uh, we talk about noise versus signals uh, in the market. Uh, Sandy is a real student of digging into data and, 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 and using data to help make, for lack of a better phrase, market calls and market commentary. Um, as a retired strategist, he's very good at it. Uh, so here we are. Uh, in the interest rate environment that is knocking my tech stocks around, Sandy. Um, you know, my, my banks are working like a charm, which benefit from rising interest rates. Uh, I keep confessing on there. I, I honestly, and I have never worked through a rate hike cycle. I'm going to confess onto that one too. I've been in this business since 2001, Sandy. So I'm pushing 20 years now in this business. I've learned a thing or two, but I have a, so much more to learn. And uh, in that period of my career, Sandy, interest rates virtually went down. 
Um, there were periods of uptick, but the trend was lower. Uh, and I think I was saying forever lower for longer. Uh, perhaps the longer has been put to rest and a new trend has begun. I, I think without question, we're in a bear market for bonds, which means interest rates do work higher. I'm hoping for sideways action. I want to believe in sideways action. Again, inflation is the culprit to rising interest rates. And I think with technology, with a flat planet, um, there's a lot of deflationary forces to keep overall inflation in check. Um, so technology is getting whacked with rising interest rates. Sandy, speak to interest rates, speak to the market. Um, how should we be positioned, do you believe, uh, for the next 12 to 24 months? Okay. Um, first off, you, you need to know what market environment you're in. And my view is in the stock market, we are in what is called a secular bull market. Stocks are a superior investment, and when they sell off, capital comes into that market. Where's it coming from? Um, I've talked about this before on this show. Um, when I joined the industry in 1975, it was actually a really seminal moment in capital markets. Uh, in the United States and Canada the previous year, there was reform of the pension system that introduced individual retirement accounts, which we call RRSPs and RRIFs and LIRAs in Canada. Uh, this enabled the broad population to accumulate capital pre-tax and compound pre-tax. And this has been an incredibly powerful force over the decades. Today, the capital pool in the retirement system is growing at a compound annual growth rate of about 7%. That's money in, money out, plus portfolio returns. Mm -hmm. GDP is growing at 2%. So we're growing capital at three times the rate of speed of the economy into which that capital has to be deployed. This generally means that as asset prices fall, somebody's sitting on some excess capital and is going to go out there and say, okay, this has reached a point where I'm interested. Now, I'm a long-term investor, and um, I tend to hold what I call tactical cash. Um, it's running at about 5% in my personal account, and it's running at about 10% in my foundation. Now, I hadn't invested any money in the foundation for uh, 2018 um, until the first quarter of 2020, at which point I got to 90% invested during that bear market in March. That was an end of cycle bear market. And for a long-term investor, that is your best entry point. I also had much higher level of tactical cash in my personal account, and I went and bought that market. Um, I would be holding a higher level of tactical cash in my personal account today, but I'm in tax jail. My cost base in <laughs> many, many cases is too low. You're in, so you're, sorry, I have to stop you there. You made me laugh. 
uh, and I hope the audience caught what you just said, but if not, repeat it, please, uh, Sandy. Again, you're a very successful uh, uh, businessman. Uh, you are part of the, you know, one uh, percent in Canada, hands down. So, talk to us about the prison you're in. Well, it's called tax jail. Um, let's let's use a a, um, <laughs> a uh, hypothetical situation. Let's say I own Royal Bank stock, and my cost base is. 50% of the current market value. I owe taxes at my marginal rate, which is 54% on, 25, on, on half the gain. Um, now, let's say I think that BMO has got a better prospect going forward. You have to think about if BMO's growing at 10% and Royal Bank's growing at 7.5%, can I ever recover switching out of Royal Bank, paying the taxes, and buying BMO? The spread in growth rates isn't big enough to justify the transaction. Uh, so I, I'm not a heavy trader. I'm, I'm very tactical in how I trade. And actually, there's a, a saying that I've used for decades in retail presentations um, a portfolio is like a bar of soap. The more you touch it, the faster it wastes away. Don't touch it. Make sure. I that love you that. You, you know, I love that line. You know, I love that line, Sandy. <laughs> I, I I love it too. Um, and yeah, and I, I've been using that line. I've been using that line for Bill Quinn is the man. I don't know if you know Bill Quinn. I think you do. He's the guy who gave me that line about 15 years ago. And to me, it was absolute wisdom. I'm not sure how old it is, but uh, Wall Street and Bay Street have some great terms. Uh, Sandy, we got about 30 seconds left. Um, again, you've seen this movie before, uh, and it's certainly not exactly the same, but it's certainly the, 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 the rhymes are there. Right here, right now, what do you see as the opportunity? Quickly, and what's the risk? I think there's an opportunity for you to leave some of the more speculative end of the market. Um, I'm gonna introduce a strange concept, which we're gonna to get to in the next section. It's called duration. How long will a business last? And with that, I'll pass it back. Uh -huh. Well, my good friends, it is Saturday night and uh, we do have to uh, part ways uh, for another week, I shall say. Uh, we're gonna bring Sandy McIntyre back on. A, it's just a, a pleasure. Uh, and delight to uh, speak with such a man is such a fresh uh, view uh, and just chock full of wisdom. Uh, great job lining up the guests as always, Jack Hartle, my partner. Uh, if you have any questions uh, for Jack or I, please visit our website, wolfgangkline.com. Uh, make contact and we shall uh, reciprocate with love. You have yourself a safe weekend and a prosperous one. And we will speak with you next Saturday on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Listening to Hi Fi Radio with Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle, portfolio managers at Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. For questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered, email Wolf and Jack at WolfgangKlein.com. Hi Fi Radio for the love of money. We'll see you next week.